Thank you for choosing Miniaturist of Baptist Church podcast. We hope you benefit from this message. If you'd like to learn more about Miniaturist of Baptist Church, please visit our website at miniaturistachurch.org. First one is, Oh, that will be glory. I invite you to stand together as we sing. take your seats and I can't imagine what it's going to be like on that day I look forward to it we'll see our Lord and Savior our friends and loved ones that's going to be great it'll be a glorious day all right uh, next this morning blessed Redeemer yep you know this hymn good huh? Well, it's been one of my favorites for a long time, too. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Which That's okay. 326. Okay, there we go. 
Yesterday we had the annual meeting of our region churches in Minnesota. There are around 40 people here. And the reason we had it was because, as you remember, the region was helpful in giving us $25,000 to help us with our building. And so these folks wanted to come and witness and see for themselves what we were able to do next door here. And uh, they were very excited for us, and it was, a, it was a great day. But somebody came up to me and said, what in the world are these? And uh, he said, I remember something similar to this that the ushers would use in my grandfather's church that they, if they saw you sleeping, would tap you on the head. And I said, no, I said, we had a young man from church make these for us and we used them for our offering. And uh, again, Andrew, thank you for those. There's one next door you can give there. And uh, I will take this and uh, I'll hold on to it during the message and see if I got to whack anybody. But first, we'll use it for our offering. Uh, God bless you as you give. a good reminder because he lives I can face tomorrow right let's stand together as we sing our doxology we thank you for the blessings of this week and in response to that we give you a gift Lord we thank you for taking good care of us and in response to that we give you a gift Lord you've blessed us in so many wonderful ways and in response to that we give you a gift and I say that three times because it's important to give you what you so deserve you have blessed us in so many wonderful ways 
And because you live, we can face tomorrow, whatever that means for each of us. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege that we have of giving to you and to your work. And Lord, we pray that you would bless these gifts and each giver. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's remain standing to sing. just wringing your hands and so worried and concerned that now we have a new president and what's going to happen? That's right. You know what? The Lord is in charge of that. And so I was talking to somebody about that and they said, well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I said, I'm going to do the same thing I did yesterday. I'm going to uh, serve Jesus I'm going to pray for his coming, and I'm going to tell other people about him. That's what I'm going to do tomorrow, just the same as what I did yesterday. It is interesting, though. Bo shared with me, uh, he gets a daily verse, and this was the verse that came up today. 1 Timothy 2, chapter, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 2, 
and verses 1 and a few verses after. And this is what the Apostle Paul says to Timothy. I urge you then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And then this is the great part. This is good and pleases God, our Savior. So, you know what? I, you know, I don't know where you stand. I was... Uh, I know where most of you stand. <laughs> uh, I was probably disappointed a little bit like you. But again, I did have to come back and say, hey, God is sovereign. He puts in authority those that we deserve or that he will bless us with. So I'm not sure. I, I know America is not where it needs to be. And so we need some work there. But uh, who knows what the Lord has in store for the next four years. I'm going to trust that he is in control. And I'm sure you're going to do the same. So those are some prayer requests. Let's bow our heads for prayer. And you just pray quietly, silently, quietly, as the Lord leads you. In our bulletin, Lord, it gives us some things to pray for. Pray for our nation. And Lord, we have not been the godly nation that we were founded upon. And uh, Lord, for that, we ask your forgiveness. We have not been the church that you have called us to be as well. And Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for that. We have not been... The Christ followers coming all the way to a personal level that you have called us to be. And Lord, we ask your forgiveness for that. But nonetheless, we know, Lord, that you still are active in our hearts, in our church, and in our world. And so, Lord, we pray your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for our president, President Trump, right now. Pray, Lord, that you'd give him wisdom as he uh, discerns what is next in this battle for the presidency. Pray, Lord, that he would seek after you to determine what his next steps are. Lord, we pray for President-elect Joe Biden. And pray, Lord, that uh, we as a Christian community would remember him in prayer knowing, Lord, that you have appointed him as our next president. Sometimes we don't quite understand why that might have happened, but nonetheless, Lord, it seems like that's going to be the direction that our nation will go. And, Lord, we will trust in you. Pray for our state, for our governor. We pray for our church. We pray for the leadership of our church, those that have been called to serve in leadership positions. And tomorrow night we have a leadership meeting, Lord, so... Pray that you give us guidance as we continue to do your work here. And then, Lord, we pray for those that don't know you as Lord and Savior. It could be a spouse. It could be a child. It could be another family member. It could be a work associate. It could be a, a, a friend, a neighbor. 
Lord, a prayer that we have often prayed is that you would give us opportunity. And Lord, that would be a prayer that you would readily answer. So help us to look for the opportunities that you give us to just share a word about Jesus, our Savior. And then, Lord, there's other needs that we're aware of. And Lord, we think about tomorrow. And yeah, we might be a little concerned or whatever, but ultimately, Lord, you are in charge and we will tomorrow do what we do today and yesterday, and that is live for you, pray for your coming, and share the good news with others. And Lord, what we'll also do this morning is we'll open your word together as is our habit, our good habit, and pray, Lord, that you would teach us as we work through this passage today. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers and answering them according to your perfect plan. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we have a passage today that uh, has probably, in one way or another, affected probably all of us. Our title is is, uh, Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage. And we're just going through the book of Mark together, and we come to chapter 10. I was so hoping that this would fall on Lou, but instead it fell to me. (laughs) So if you have a bulletin uh, on the inside there or backside, maybe there is an opportunity for you to take some notes if you so choose. We're going to work through this passage together. It's found in Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. And uh, if you have your notes there, this is what it says at at the top there. God's word, and we've said this a million times in our church, is our final authority on what we believe and how we behave. So if you're trying to figure out, you know, what, what should I do in this situation? What, what should I say in this situation? How should I respond in this situation? Well, you need to go to God's Word. It's our final authority on what we believe and how we behave. Our passage today talks about belief and behavior. What do we believe about marriage and how to behave while married? Bottom line, and this is found in Genesis 2.24 and Malachi 2.16, almost verbatim, God created marriage and God hates divorce. The Pharisees, who are always trying to find a way to trip up Jesus, again want to trap Jesus with his words, so they ask him this question concerning divorce, and Jesus gives them God's answer, and he gives them God's answer from God's word. So we're going to take a look at this passage, and then we'll unpack it together. Mark chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus left that place and went into the region of Judea, across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, as was the custom, (laughs) was the case, And uh, he taught them. And Jesus did a lot of that. That's what he did. That's what, you know, we've been looking at from the very beginning of Mark. He taught them. He healed them. Some Pharisees, and they're always dogging him all the way back in chapter 3. They were finding a way how to get rid of him. They're always dogging him. The Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus cuts to the chase. What did Moses command you? In other words, what does the Bible say? He replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. 
And then Jesus says, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. Jesus replied, but at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Let man not separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Now, there are some other passages in uh, Matthew chapter 19 that we will look at uh, that are similar to this passage. But that is the reading of God's word in Mark chapter 10, 1 through 12. So I want to give you a little bit of uh, information about uh, this encounter, some background information on this encounter. Jesus left that place that he was at, and he went into the region of Judea across the Jordan, it says, And so I want to talk to you just about that for a bit. Jesus enters this area, and if you have Bible maps in your Bible at the back, this area is known as the region of Perea. Perea. And the Pharisees are here, and again, they're trying to disrupt Jesus' ministry, and they're trying to give a question that would uh, uh, mess Jesus up. And so this question about divorce is well Orchestrated. It's not a random question by any means. Divorce was a major, major, major problem with most of the audience that is there listening to Jesus, including the religious leaders. In that day, and because of the law that we'll look at in a little bit, I could divorce my wife, Vicki, for burning my dinner. In that day, I could. I could divorce my wife, Vicki, for talking to another man. I could divorce my wife, Vicki, for making a negative comment about my parents. (laughs) So it was a very, very, very common problem. In this early world here. But Perea also, and if you'll remember back in our teaching, was an area ruled by Herod Antipas. And if you remember Mark chapter 6, John the Baptist lost his head for confronting Herod Antipas about divorcing his wife and marrying his brother's wife who was also related to him. So, I mean, there was a lot of problem there, and John the Baptist brought that up. And if you remember, Herod Antipas' wife has her daughter dance before Herod and all of his associates, and Herod says, I'll give you anything. And the queen says, what? I want the head of John the Baptist because he had confronted us on this issue. So the Pharisees with this question, thought that they would rile the crowd for sure and maybe even get Herod on board to do 
to Jesus what he did to John the Baptist. So this was a little tricky question from the Pharisees, and that background information gives you some clarity there. So Jesus is going to now bring some clarity to them from God's word. And so if you are taking notes, some thoughts, not from society, because we know what society thinks about divorce, but some thoughts about marriage from God's word. And I think it's interesting here, Jesus disregarded their customs because the customs were, hey, you could divorce your wife or she could divorce you for just about anything. The tradition, their social behavior, and the teachings of the rabbis. And many of the rabbis were divorced as well. And he went right to God's word, which is really what we always need to do. We need to go right to God's word. If you're struggling with a subject, with a problem, go right to God's word. And then uh, you can find an answer there, I'm uh, sure. And so Jesus says in verse 3, what did Moses command you? What did Moses command you? Well, we've got a few things here. Number one is that Moses did permit it. Now, really, I mean, Moses is writing down God's word. So in in, in a way, God permits divorce. It's not the way it's supposed to be, but he permits it because of their hard heart. And so if you go back to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 24, this is where we will see that the Lord through Moses and the miscellaneous laws, which are in the back of Deuteronomy there, uh, allows for divorce. And it was because of their sinful hard heart that the Lord allowed it. And this is what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 24, part of the law. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him, and that was the problem, there was a whole lot of ideas as to what displeasing really meant. If Vicky burns my dinner, that's displeasing. Well, I think it was bigger and greater than that. But nonetheless, becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her. And he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house. And if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man... And her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house. Or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. So that was the law. And I found something in one of my commentaries that I'd like to read to you. It says this, Moses' permission for divorce is really an indictment of the human condition. Jesus acknowledges Moses' provision for a certificate of divorce that spells out the conditions of separation. Divorce had become the mode among his people and as their leader he had the responsibility to limit and regulate a behavior that threatened to destroy a nation built upon the family. At best, Moses hoped that his temporary legislation would be superseded by a revival among the Jews that would once again put the spirit of love above the letter of the law. 
God's purpose for marriage has not changed. Jesus calls a spade a spade. Moses' temporary provision for divorce is not God's norm. It is proof of man's sin. So I thought that was helpful in at least understanding what this clause was. Jesus uses scripture then to explain God's view on marriage. And if you look at the the similar passage over in Matthew 19, verse 4, Jesus says, that's not recorded here in Mark, haven't you read? Basically he's saying to the Pharisees after they ask this question, hey, haven't you read? Don't you know what the Bible says? And then God gives some direction here. First of all, he says, God created man and woman. God created man and woman. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, Verse 27, this is Genesis 1 and 2. Before the fall, God created man and woman. Verse 27, chapter 1, Genesis. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. When Adam and Eve were created, there were no extra mates available. So this idea of polygamy, which... Many of the Old Testament, especially teachers and prophets and kings, had multiple wives. Uh, Solomon is one. What did he have? 300 wives and 700 concubines. So God did not design it that way. He designed it. Adam and Eve were created. There were no extra mates available. Polygamy was not allowed and not even an option. One man, one woman, was exactly how God planned marriage. And when he planned it here in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, it was perfect. It was complete. And the next thing God says in our text, first of all, God created man and woman. So if you look at that, it says, but at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And so God created the union. Genesis 1.28. Right after he creates them, he says this. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that, that moves on the ground. So the union was blessed by God. He said that. God blessed them, and God told them to be fruitful, to increase in number. That union was again one man and one woman. Now, unfortunately, we live in a world that does not agree with God's word on this. We are not talking about two men. That's an abomination, the Bible says. We are not talking about two women. We are not talking about one man and two women, or one man and 300 women. We are not ta- talking about one woman and a number of men. It, it's just, it, it's God created the union, and the union was man and woman, Adam and Eve. It was a union created by God between one man and one woman. When I was in California this past week, I was visiting with a friend of mine. His name's Wade. He's a pastor at a church there. And he says that the Possibly the next step in the world that we live in is that if churches do not agree to marry two men or two women, 
that one of the things that the government might do is take away our tax-exempt status. And uh, I would not be surprised if that happens. We might need to raise our budget to include some extra money to pay our taxes because as long as I'm here, we are not going to allow two men or two women to be married in our facility here. And I will not participate in it as well. So the next thing, God causes the two to become one. The two to become one. And back in Genesis, again, chapter 2, verse 24, this is what it says. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. This is God's ordained view of marriage. A man leaves his father and mother, and by that means so does a woman, They break that prior family bond and the two are united and really the word talks about being glued together. They are being glued together. And uh, I brought along the uh, my marriage uh, vows that we uh, do in a wedding and uh, so there are preliminary vows, maybe you remember these. John, will you take Vicky to be your wedded wife? Will you promise to love her and keep her to be a husband, a strength, a provider, and a good friend to her for as long as you both shall live? And I remember saying with sweaty hands and a sweaty brow, I do. Vicky, will you take John to be your wedded husband? Will you promise to love him and keep him to be a wife, a strength, a support, and a good friend to him? for as long as you shall live. And if I remember right, she said yes too. And then I often say, since it is your desire to take each other as husband and wife, you will face each other and repeat after me your marriage vows. I, John, take you, Vicki, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward. And I do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful husband, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, so long as we both shall live. And then Vicki would repeat the same vows. And then at the end of the wedding, at the pronouncement, I often say, thus the truth of Scripture, the two will become one. And in God's design of marriage, one plus one equals one. No! I know you were going to say that. One plus one in God's design for marriage equals one. Glued together by marriage vows taken in the presence of God. And then as you look at our passage... So they are not no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. God joins the two together. Those whom God hath joined together. Marriage is God's work. God did not design living together. God did not design premarital sex. God does not design adultery. God designs two people, husband and wife, being married And that's his design. 
And so I want to talk to you for a moment about some... So that's some thoughts from God's Word, from our passage. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. So I want to talk to you for just a moment about marriage. Some thoughts on marriage. First of all, it's a wonderful gift. Marriage is God's wonderful gift to each of us that are married. And I wrote down some Bible verses here. First of all, you could read through the book of uh, the Song of Solomon and talk about marriage. Proverbs 18.22 says this, He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Proverbs 5.18, May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. Ecclesiastes 4.9, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Ephesians 5.28, In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And then there's a passage in in, uh, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is kind of an interesting book. But this is what it says. I'm not sure if it's a a positive or a negative. It starts off as a positive. But then this is what it says. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love. All the days of this meaningless life. <laughs> okay. It starts off good, but then that's, that's interesting. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love. All the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days. And then this doesn't even sound all that good either. For this is your lot in life. And in your toilsome labor under the sun. So that's from the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm not so sure that that's really a positive verse on marriage. Because the next point here is marriage is hard work. Those of you that are married know that to be true. I don't know if you saw this movie. I did a long, long time ago. There was an Alan Alda movie a few years back entitled Four Seasons. It is about three couples who have been friends for years and have always vacationed together. They followed this routine for 20 consecutive summers. Before the the 21st vacation, however, one of the couples divorces. The husband remarries on the next vacation and brings his new wife. This causes, as you can imagine, all kinds of discomfort. Finally, the husband is confronted by a furious Carol Burnett, who plays one of the other wives. She tells him how disgusted she is with him over the divorce and finally says with fury, Why didn't you just stay in there and fight it out like the rest of us? All right? Marriage is hard work, no doubt. Anybody who is married knows this. <clears throat> Unfortunately, when it becomes too hard, people tend to divorce. And of course, that's a bummer. That's a bummer. I was with my parents this past week, and uh, I said to them finally, I said, Why do you guys argue so much? This is a secret, by the way. My parents are coming here uh, November 19th, so don't, uh, 
Don't reveal our family secrets here. But I said, why do you argue so much? And my dad says, how do you think we've stayed married for almost 65 years? Basically, what they're saying is that we work it out. When we have disagreements, yes, we argue, but we work it out. We work it out. Marriage is hard. Marriage is a wonderful gift from God. But marriage is also, those of you that are married know, hard work. And in your notes, the work becomes harder in our text here with adultery, with desertion, and with abuse. I mean, it's hard enough, but when these things happen, it makes it even more difficult. God's intention is that marriage be permanent, be glued together. That is his intention. And these items that are mentioned here don't automatically trigger divorce, but they certainly make marriage more difficult. And if we were to go to the Matthew chapter 19 passage, verses 8 and 9, the adultery is what is called the exception clause. You may divorce your husband or wife if adultery is present. But there's also desertion. And it talks about this in 1 Corinthians 7.15. And basically, if you're a Christian and your spouse divorces or uh, leaves you and deserts you, then desertion is also a reason that you would be allowed divorce. Adultery, desertion, grounds for divorce. And then, in the world that we live in, unfortunately, you could also throw abuse in there. Abuse, of course, is not acceptable. And I believe certainly violates the two becoming one command. And God does not want anyone to be in any kind of abusive relationship. And so some thoughts on marriage. Jesus says this to the disciples when they were back together. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this, and he answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her, and if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. And it's interesting, in the Matthew passage, the disciple says, Well, then who in the world would want to get married? You know, I mean, it's hard. It's hard work. Who in the world would want to get married? And Jesus actually says, Well, you know, some people probably shouldn't. I mean, he, he, he says that. <clears throat> so I want to conclude with some thoughts on forgiveness. Because like I said, uh, divorce at the beginning has impacted most of us in one way or another. Vicky's parents were divorced. My brother was recently, well, about 10 years ago, divorced. And you probably maybe know of someone who has been divorced or maybe you yourself have been divorced. So I want to give you just a few thoughts on forgiveness. God's wonderful gift of forgiveness is offered to all who believe and repent. I found this and I thought it was, it was good. If you've been divorced, you may be wrestling with your own questions or feelings of guilt. Particularly if you've concluded that your divorce was not biblically grounded. It is easy to become weighed down by the shame of past mistakes. Sometimes there are abiding consequences in relationships with others. But before God, and here you go, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just 
to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. <clears throat> Repentance usually doesn't mean we get to do things over again. Often it is too late to get a second chance with the same person, especially if one party has remarried. But it does mean that we make restitution as best as possible, confessing and doing whatever is possible to make things right with the people involved, including spouse, children, or anyone else affected by it. Messing up badly and understanding grace is the most beautiful thing that can happen. We can show God our gratitude for His grace by learning from our mistakes. As we experience God's grace for our failures or sins, it transforms us into more gracious people who readily extend God's mercy and compassion to others. So this is a little bit of a tough topic, but I want to conclude with that idea of forgiveness. And even better, we get to conclude with communion. And communion is our opportunity to remember what Jesus did on the cross. And how, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we are a forgiven people. <coughs> Saved by grace. Through faith for good works. And so as we share communion together, the Bible does say to examine ourselves to make sure there's nothing there that would hinder us. No unrepentant sin that would hinder us from receiving these elements. And so you can spend some time remembering that God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can spend some time before communion getting yourself right before the Lord. And then we will share bread together, symbolic of his broken body. And we will share a cup of red grape juice together, symbolic of his shed blood. And it's because of his body and blood that we have forgiveness of sin, abundant and eternal life. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, we thank you for your words. Pretty straightforward. But yet, for some of us, it kind of is a hard word to hear. But ultimately, Lord, you are a forgiving God. In fact, the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's what communion is all about, for us to remember what Jesus did on the cross for us. How he took our place, how he took our sin upon himself. And then he died for it and he separated it as far as the east is from the west. He buried it in the deepest blue sea. And because of that, we have been forgiven. And we can have abundant life right here on earth. And, of course, we look forward to eternity. Oh, that will be glory for me and all those that know Jesus as their Savior. Lord, now we will receive the elements, the cup and the bread to remember what you did for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If I could have those that are assisting with communion maybe come from next door to help us.
just going to give you a few moments to pray, to reflect, and as the Lord leads you, receive the bread and drink the cup. going to sing a song to close our service. That's a great song. Nothing but the blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that song is so, so true. Let's stand together as we sing.
people said, Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for God's people that we are joined with and joined to. We thank you for our church. We thank you for our families. We thank you for our spouses. And Lord, most of all, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to sing this song together because we're saying yes to what God would have for us. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Minnetrista Baptist Church is a community of Christ followers who value preaching and teaching scripture, biblical obedience, community, prayer, and evangelism. If you'd like to learn more about Minnetrista Baptist Church, please visit our website at minnetristachurch.org and come by for a Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you.